Hey there, this is Brian Zond, and welcome to my sermon podcast. I'm glad that you're interested in the sermons that I preach here at Word of Life Church in St. Joseph, Missouri. And if you ever feel inclined to help us by supporting us financially, you can do that at our website, wolc.com. Thank you. Good morning. Today is an auspicious day. It's a day that marks many things in both the secular and sacred calendar. In our secular calendar, it's the first day of a new year, so happy new year. But even in the secular calendar, there is a hint of the sacred. I mean, it's the new year of what, 2023? Anno Domini, the year of our Lord, 2023. Every time you say what year it is, it's a hint of the sacred. Uh, Today is also the eighth day of Christmas. So Merry Christmas. I want you to know my tree is standing strong. When other trees have fallen, mine stands strong. Because we're only two-thirds of the way through Christmas. We're the eighth day. We have four more days to go. Hallelujah. And because Jesus was circumcised and named on the eighth day after his birth, well, today on the church calendar is the holy name day. So we got, we got three things going on at the same time. New Year's Day, eighth day of Christmas, the holy name day. And that's what I want to preach on. I want to preach on the holy name, Luke 2, 21. After eight days had passed, it was time to circumcise the child. And he was called Jesus. The name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. You will remember that an angel instructed both Mary and Joseph to name the child Jesus. There was to be no mistake about this. So the angel instructs both Mary and Joseph that the child is to be named Jesus, but the child was formally given his name at his circumcision on the eighth day after his birth. The name Jesus is really, it's, it's, it's Joshua, it's the same name essentially the same name as Joshua in the Old Testament or Yahshua would be probably how it was said. Yahshua, which means salvation, or if you want to be more literal, Yahweh's salvation. Yahshua, the the salvation of Yahweh, God's salvation. That's what this name means or Yahweh saves. Um, The name of Jesus means salvation because... Salvation is a person. We we talk a lot about the plan of salvation, at least in some circles you hear that. But salvation is not a plan, it's a person. Uh, Salvation is not a theology. We have, as as we actually try to describe theology, we have uh, salvation, we have theologies of it. The fancy name is soteriology. But still, salvation is not a theology. There is a There is a theology of salvation, but salvation itself is not a theology. It is a person. It is the person of Jesus because we're not saved by a plan or a theology. 
we are saved by a person and this person is Jesus. And by saved, you know, we use that, that, that phrase, you know, saved, saved. Well, what do we mean by that? Uh, well, by saved, I mean being saved from sin and death. That's the big enemy of the human being, sin and death. That is the distortion of sin and the undoing of death. Sin, hey, you know, you can say a lot about sin, you, you know, but sin is, it's, it's missing the mark. That's what that word you, you, I seen a shooting start at night and I thought of me, did I miss the mark that overstepped the line that only you could see? It's, it's, sin is a deviation from our telos. We're, we're supposed to be like, and we, and, there, and, and, then, and then what happens is, it isn't, okay, you've broken the rules, naughty boy, naughty girl. It's we begin to become something we were never intended to be. So we, we miss the mark of who we're supposed to be and sin is a deviation from that telos and it distorts us into someone eventually unknown by God. This is why Jesus says in the judgment, I never knew you, which actually is good. <laughs> that Jesus refuses to acknowledge the sin distorted self you've become. He's not going to recognize, because sometimes you'll say, well, that's not me. You know, when we get a revelation of how we have failed and how we've sinned, we say, hey, that's, that's not me. You're right. It's not you. And Jesus refuses to recognize the sin distorted self and he's out to save the real you. Okay. So salvation means being saved from sin and from death and death. Uh, death is the final ultimate work of parasitic evil. I keep hammering this point home that evil is only parasitic. It doesn't exist unto itself. It doesn't have ontological being. It's only a tear, a hole, a mar in the fabric of goodness. <laughs> and so what, what, sin, what, what death, what sin wants, to, the ultimate accomplishment of sin is to bring us into death. And that is, that is the undoing. That's like falling out of being. The, that is to enter into non-being. And because of sin and death, we need a savior. And we learn today the name of that Savior is Jesus. Now, it doesn't matter how you say the name. I mean, there's, you know, you can, you can say Jesus. Or you can say Yeshua if you want to be kind of weird as an English speaker, but you could. Or you can say Jesus. You can say Esau. You can say Jesus. You can say Jesus. There's all, it doesn't matter how you pronounce the name. The point is that the Savior of the world is this particular Galilean Jew born of the Virgin Mary spoken of by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That's the point that we're, that we're speaking of that person because we're not saved by a salvation principle, some abstract concept. We're not saved by a salvation principle, whatever that might be. Uh, we are saved by a salvation person whose name is Jesus. The salvation that comes to us from God is both particular and universal. Hear this. The salvation that comes to us, can't save ourselves, can't save ourselves. If we're going to be saved, we need a savior. The salvation that comes to us from God is both particular and universal. It is particular because it comes 
by the particular person named Jesus and it is universal because it's a salvation for the whole world. Jesus is the savior of the world. Now some are offended by this in maybe one of two ways. Some are offended by what's called the scandal of particularity. It's kind of an academic term. But uh, some are offended by the scandal of particularity. That is, they, they find it offensive that, that, well, does it really have to be through this, this, this one unique? Yeah, it does. They're offended that the salvation of God entered the world through one particular Jew at one particular time, at one particular place in history. Some are offended by that. Well, it seems like it should be just more generalized. A salvation principle. No, it's very particular. One particular Galilean Jew at one particular time and place in history. Some are offended by that. It's called the scandal of particularity. Others are offended by the potential wideness of salvation. As John the Elder said, Jesus is the atonement for our sins and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. That's 1 John 2, 2 if you want the address, okay? I actually, though, find no offense at all in any of this because it's in the particularity and universality of the name of Jesus that we find the beauty of the gospel, the beauty that saves the world. Now, both the apostles Peter and Paul address and speak to the particularity and universality that is found in the name of Jesus, and I want us to look at it. We're now going to go for a little bit to, uh, to the book of Acts. There's a story there. This, this story happens um, not long after the resurrection. Weeks at most months after the resurrection. And Peter and John, they're, they're, they're now staying in Jerusalem. This has become their base. And Peter and John, preeminent among the twelve, they are going up to the temple at the hour of prayer. It's 3 p.m. There's a daily prayer service at that time. They want to participate in that. They're observant Jews. And so they're, they're going up to the temple to pray. They've kind of entered the temple complex, and now they're going to enter the temple proper, where at this point only Jewish males can enter. And there's a gate for that, and it's called the beautiful gate. And there at the beautiful gate sits a man who sat there probably for decades. He's above 40 years of age. He was born lame. He's born crippled in his legs. He's never walked. And he's carried there and he sits there day after day and that's his beggar's spot. As people come into the temple, he begs. On this particular day, as Peter and John are about to enter that gate, they, they see this man. They've seen him before, I presume. But something happens this day. And they make eye contact. You know, you make eye contact with a beggar, you got to do something. You know, you can pretend you don't see him and maybe carry it, but once you make eye contact, something's got to happen. They make eye contact and, and, and Peter emphasizes it. He says, look at us, look at us, look at us. Of course, he, what's he to expect? Well, this is, you know, he reaches out his hand to receive a shekel or two. 
alms. That's what he's there, he's begging. Peter says, look at us. And they make eye contact. And Peter says, silver and gold have I none. But such as I have, I give to you. The beggars like this, expecting to receive a shekel. And Peter reaches out his hand and takes hold of his hand and says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, stand up and walk. And he lifts him to his feet and instantly his legs and his ankles are strengthened. And for the first time in his life, he's standing on his own two feet and he begins to walk and he enters the temple for the first time, walking and leaping and praising God. Ah, I'm walking. I've been healed for the first time. You know, and he's creating quite a commotion and, and a, a, naturally a crowd gathers. A crowd gathers and um, people are astonished. And so Peter and John begin to speak. Mostly Peter, because it's Peter, you know. John's going, that's right, that's right. <laughs> Peter says, hey, 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 why, why are y'all looking at us? As if by our own power or piety, we've healed this man. No, 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 it's not us. But it's, well, you see, God has kept his promises, the promises that he made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in giving us his son, whom you crucified. You rejected. The rulers of our people crucified, but God has raised him from the dead. And this is the proof. It's by faith in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth that this man stands before you well and whole. And then he begins to preach the good news about two things that are found in Jesus, and that is forgiveness of sins and the resurrection of the dead. The two great problems are overcome by, by the one who is salvation, Yeshua, Jesus. In him we have forgiveness of sins. In him we find the resurrection of the dead. And Peter's just going for it. He's preaching it. Now, the Sadducees, that is the rich ruling elite who through inheritance kind of run the whole temple operation. It's a very lucrative business. The Sadducees and their chief priests are none too happy about what's going on. They just like the status quo. They want to hear about something new. And so they send the temple police to arrest them. The temple police come and they arrest Peter and John. And now it's late in the day. It's late in the day. I mean, they got there, you know, like at three. Things have happened. Let's say it's, you know, five o'clock or whatever. And so they're kept overnight. They are detained, imprisoned overnight. In the morning, there is a convening of the council, the religious ruling council. You've heard about this in the trial of Jesus. Same, same, same actors, same people. The Sanhedrin, the ones that had condemned Jesus to death, they are gathered, and uh, Caiaphas, the high priest, he's there, and they begin to interrogate Peter and John. And they're, they're a little bit curious about, the, see, the problem is, Peter and John aren't just giving doctrine and theology. There has been a miracle. 
and that they really can't deny. I mean, everybody knew this guy. You know, beggars in public places are kind of like famous. People see him all the time. You know that guy that always says, oh yeah, I know that guy. Guess what, what? He's walking, what? Yeah, he got healed yesterday. He was healed. And so this is, this is notable. They can't deny it. And so they're very curious and they're, they're saying, how'd you do that? How'd you do that? I mean, they're upset. They've been arrested, but now they're being interrogated. How'd you do that? Now we pick up the story in Acts 4, 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are questioned today because of a good deed done to someone who was sick and are asked how this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that this man is standing before you in good health by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders. It has become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among mortals by which we must be saved. Wow. This is, uh, this is Peter being very pointed in particular. I'm gonna back up. Here, here's, here's what he said earlier in his sermon. He says, uh, when he's preaching, he says, this is 319, repent therefore and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send the Messiah, the Christ, appointed for you, that is Jesus, he's always being specific, who must remain in heaven until the time of universal restoration, apocatastasis, that God announced long ago through his holy prophets. That's what he's preaching. Then they're arrested. Then they're being questioned. And then he says, if you want to know how this man has been healed, he's been healed in the name of Jesus. And this Jesus, whom you rejected, he's saying this to the council, a God has raised. This is the cornerstone rejected by you, the builders. This is the stone rejected by you, the builders. And now it's become the cornerstone. You see, during their interrogation, Peter tells the Sanhedrin that the healing of the man born lame is accomplished through the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Very particular. Not just, not just any Yahshua out there. This is Yahshua of Nazareth. But this man that was healed, you understand what this man is? This, this man is a picture of what God wants to do for all of creation. See, it's, it's not just, I mean, it is a notable miracle. That's great. Hallelujah. Praise God. I'm happy for it. But it's more than that. It's a picture of how God will keep his promise to restore goodness. Because we live in a, we live in a, we live in a cosmos that's broken, almost born lame. From the, from the very beginning, something went wrong and we've been lame but it's in the name of Jesus that we're going to be healed and enter the temple 
walking and leaping and praying. The temple, the temple that is creation itself, you know. Because the, 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 the whole idea of temple is going to expand from one specific place into the whole world. Jesus is the one who will heal the cosmos. A cosmos, we might say, was quite nearly born lame. Jesus is the stone rejected by the builders. That is the temple establishment that has become the very cornerstone of God's new salvation temple, which really is creation itself. And God's promise is to do for creation what was done for the lame beggar. But this salvation is accomplished through the particular person of Jesus of Nazareth. There are not many Christs. Use that language around me and I'm going to be like, yeah. No, there are not many Christs. There is Jesus Christ of Nazareth. That one conceived in the womb of the Virgin Mary, born in Bethlehem. That one that was raised in Nazareth, that was baptized in the River Jordan by John the Baptist. This one that was crucified, buried, and raised on the third day. This is the Christ. This is the Messiah. This is the answer. This is the Savior of the world. This is the one by whom God keeps all of his promises. There are not many Christs. There is Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And Jesus did not become the Christ. Do not use that, that faulty theological language. That's poor theology. Jesus did not become the Christ. You cannot separate Jesus from Christ. Jesus has been the Christ always, all right? Jesus didn't, there isn't some point where Jesus became the Christ. You know, like, oh, well, in our thinking after, you know, after whatever happened to happen, he became, no. Jesus did not become the Christ the Christ is and always has been Jesus of Nazareth. And the cosmos is not saved by a Christ principle, whatever that might be, but by the person of Jesus of Nazareth. So Peter says, there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among mortals by which we must be saved. This is what we mean by particularity. The particularity of salvation, call it a scandal if you will. All that is saved is saved by Jesus and no one else. Now, I mean, I'm over with the idea that, 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 that people get saved and they have to later on figure out who saved them. They find out it's Jesus. But all that is saved is saved by Jesus because he is the salvation of God. All roads do not lead to salvation. Most roads don't lead anywhere. They just wander around but Jesus will travel any road, leaving the 99 to find his one lost sheep. All roads do not lead to salvation. Most roads don't go anywhere, but Jesus will travel any road, leaving the 99 to find his one lost sheep. All who are saved are saved by Jesus and Jesus will save anyone anywhere. Hallelujah. Okay, this is Peter on the particularity and universality of salvation in the name of Jesus because he holds to the hope of the restoration of all things, universal restoration, apocalypsis. But now let's look at what Paul has to say about it. This is in Philippians, Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. This is, this is considered, they tell us this is a hymn. 
an early Christian hymn, maybe the earliest Christian hymn we know anything about. It's a hymn. This is what, I mean, think about it being coming from the first one or two decades. That's, I mean, this is right out of the gate. This is the kind of hymns our forebearers were singing at the very beginning. Maybe it was composed by Paul, we don't know. Or maybe, you know, Paul, like, you know, I, I like dropping song lyrics into my sermons. Maybe this is what Paul's doing, I don't know. But th this is the kind of stuff the early Christians were singing. It starts in verse five. I'm, I'm gonna take it in, it's got like two sections. We'll take the first section first. How about that? Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ. You have to think of this as verse. And I don't know, I don't know what the melody was and I don't know what it sounded like in Greek, but anyway. Let the same mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness, and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. This is the first stanza of this hymn. And everything's kind of a downward movement. Down, 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 down. The, the, the hymn kind of purports to exhort us to think in a Christ-like way. Think like Jesus thinks. Let the mind be in you that was also in Christ. And then it begins to talk about Christ Jesus. Who though he was in the form of God. Jesus is very God, very God, he's full of God. The fullness of deity dwells in Christ in bodily form. Jesus, Jesus comes into this world as Emmanuel, God with us, the word made flesh. Who, although he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited. So the creator, the omnipotent one, enters our world as one of us, you'd think he'd be like, more like Superman. Now, now, Jesus does miracles. Yes, he does. But they're mostly for other people. He himself is born in a stable, laid in a feeding trough, grows up in the humble environs of Nazareth. He's got calluses on his hands as he works as a carpenter. This is not what we would expect. We'd expect him to be flying around being God all over the place. But instead, he's, 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 he's not exploiting his deity. He's not exploiting his power. He's, so the, the one who walks on water sits weary by the well of Sychar. I'm tired and I'm thirsty. He did not consider equality with God a thing to be exploited. But he emptied himself. Kenosis, he poured himself out. He poured himself out. He poured himself out. He didn't come among us to take. He came among us to pour himself out. He's pouring himself out. And he takes on the form of a slave. Being born in human likeness. And being found in human. I mean, he comes from heaven in human form, humble human form, a baby in a feeding trough in a livestock cave, for crying out loud. Lives a humble life as a carpenter. He's humbled himself and then becomes obedient. He's obedient. Who's he obedient to? To his father. He's obedient unto death. Abba, Father, all things are possible. 
take this cup away. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And the cup's not taken away, so he's obedient. He's, a, he's, a, he's obedient to the point of death, even death upon a cross, the most hideous and cruel form of death. So it's just all this down, down, down. He's very God of very God, but he comes among us, not exploiting his deity, humble, living a humble life, simple servant, simple, humble carpenter. And he becomes obedient to death, even death on a cross. All the way down. Second stanza. Therefore, God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name. Come on, we're preaching on the holy name today. And gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So Jesus descended. It's, it's, it's all down, 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 down. How far down does he go? As far as you can go. He goes to the bottom. He goes to Sheol. He goes to Hades. He goes to hell. He goes to the bottom of death. Why? Because that's where we are. He's going to find us. He goes all the way down. And therefore, God has highly exalted him and raises him all the way up, all the way up, 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 out of death, out of Sheol, Hades, hell, all the way up, all the way up through earth, all the way up through he's, he's king of kings and Lord of lords, all the way up to be seated at the right hand of God, the father in the heavens. So Jesus spans all the way, heaven, earth, hell. He is Jesus is Lord in three worlds. And when he comes out, he leads captivity. That is, he brings hell's captives as his own spoils of victory, and he leads them out. So that we're told, in three worlds, heaven, earth, and hell, every knee shall bend and every tongue confess, Jesus Christ is Lord. Every knee shall bend, every tongue confess, Jesus Christ is Lord. And what happens when every tongue and every knee bend, every tongue, every, every knee bends, every tongue confesses that Jesus Christ is Lord because he has the name above every name in three worlds, heaven, earth, and hell. What happens? Then we have the restoration of all things. That's when the beggar born lame <laughs> enters the temple of God's creation, walking and leaping and praising God. Stand up with me. It's the first day of the year. It's Holy Name Day. 2023 stretches out in front of us. And I think we should call upon the name of the Lord. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so, just kind of enter, enter within your own self for a moment. Where do you need salvation? Do you need forgiveness of sins? Maybe that's where you need salvation. Do you need deliverance from something that has you in bondage? Is that where you need salvation? Do you need salvation in, I don't know, home life, marriage, family? Do you need salvation, some kind of healing in your body? Find the place where you just, just find that place, find that place where you are 
the lame beggar at the beautiful gate. And, and you're, you're kind of begging, I need help. I can't set myself free. I can't save myself. I can't get over this. I'm so laden with guilt. I'm so, I'm so bound. I'm so depressed. I'm so helpless here. And just, just reach out, like, reach out your hand, reach out your hand. And then see, not, not Peter, not John, but Jesus himself. Jesus himself reaching down and taking hold of you. Just call it, say, Jesus saved me. Jesus saved me. And it don't mean whatever it means to you, but just say, Jesus, just say it. Say, Jesus saved me. Jesus, I call upon you, Jesus. Jesus Christ of Nazareth, that one. You who are the Savior. You who are the crucified and risen and exalted Son of God, Jesus. We call upon you, save us. Save us. Save us from what we cannot save ourselves. Save us in the midst of our brokenness. When we can, if we could get up and, and walk on our own, we would, but we can't. So Jesus, save us. You who are Yeshua, you who are Yahweh's, Yahweh saves. Save us through Jesus. Save us, Lord Jesus. Let your salvation come. In Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Ah, it's a good start of the year. It's a good start of the year. And now let's, let's come to the table and receive the gift that Jesus himself gives. He says, I'll give you my flesh. I'll give you my blood. I'll give you my life in the bread and the wine. Join with me now in confessing our Christian faith. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Amen. I believe. Now, join with me in confessing our sins and receiving the Lord's forgiveness. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. And God is gracious to all who confess their sins and in humility ask for mercy in the name of Jesus Christ. In the name of Jesus Christ, your sins are forgiven. And this is the table, not of the church, but of the Lord. It is made ready for those who love him and for those who want to love him more. So come, you who have much faith and you who have little. You who have been here often and you who have not been here long. You who have tried to follow and you who have failed, come. Because it is the Lord who invites you. It is his will that those who want him should meet him here. The body of Christ broken for you. The blood of Christ shed for you. Amen.